Please remain standing in body or spirit as we come before God's word. And as we do so, very likely we're doing what the disciples would have done in reciting first what Jesus called the great commandment. In Hebrew, it's based on the Shema. So if you'll follow after me in Hebrew, and then we'll join together in English. Shema Israel. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel. Israel. The, the Lord, Lord is our God, God the Lord alone. Love, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture this morning is the Ten Commandments, and we're going to read them uh, responsibly. When it says all, will be all. When it says uh, east, east is going to be this side, and I will be leading you. And if you'll turn and face west, west is going to be led by Donna if you'll turn and face east and let us uh, together. I'll read the word of God uh, this morning. I am the Lord, Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, Egypt out of the, the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You You shall shall not covet covet anything anything that that belongs to your your neighbor. neighbor. I I am am the Lord your God. God. Who brought, brought you out, out of, of Egypt, Egypt, out of the, of the land, land of, slavery. of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. A number of years ago, a prominent Jewish rabbi lectured at a Christian seminary, and his topic was, which of the Ten Commandments is the most important? Of the ten, which one is the key? Now, I know at least my first response is, well, like, don't you want us to keep all ten of them? And so I sort of looked at it like, are we trying to maybe get out of something, maybe condense uh, our limit, our responsibilities? I was reminded of that famous story of the late comedian W.C. Fields. Uh, Near the end of his life, his friends were surprised to find him sitting on his bed thumbing through the Bible. And so they asked him, Mr. Fields, what are you looking for? And he said, loopholes, looking for loopholes. But I want to tell you this morning, to find the key or most important of the Ten Commandments is not to look for loopholes. This was an exercise the Jews engaged in in Jesus' day. They'd come up and say to him, what's the great commandment? And they assumed that there was a commandment that if they followed, it would help them keep the other commandments. In other words, is there a key where I can get in line? Or another way they thought about it, is there a commandment that helps me uh, become more like God wants me to be and live the life God has for me? Interesting, the phrase that they had, uh, the Jews in Jesus' day, for living the life that God has for you was eternal life. And so that's why the lawyer came up to Jesus one day and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he wasn't, first of all, talking about heaven. He was, first of all, saying, how do I get on board now with what God wants? And so Jesus said to him, well, you know the commandments. The commandments were the key to eternal life. But of the Ten Commandments, which one seems to be the key? Well, there are a lot of possibilities. I thought we'd walk through uh, five of them this morning uh, and that suggest themselves. The first one 
probably seems like the obvious place to start, which um, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And I think you could reasonably argue this is foundational. And if you don't keep this one, you're going to have a real hard time keeping the other nine. And I think that's right. But I think our problem in the 21st century is we think if we uh, don't have uh, uh, images of Baal or other kinds of God, that we're, we're not in danger when it comes to this commandment. But I think the rabbis had an ancient teaching which was really helpful in examining ourselves about the first commandment. It went like this. It said that you could draw a line on a piece of paper in the sand, wherever you want to draw it. And on one side of the line is everything that is not created. Okay, and that would only be God. And then on the other side of the line is everything that is created. Nations, families, jobs, college basketball teams, hobbies. I mean, all that over here. And they said idolatry was when you took anything that was on this created side of the line and you gave it the respect and honor that was only due to the uncreated one. On this side of the line, they say, when you do that, you have another God. Another thing that's interesting about this first commandment is the language that God chooses. No other gods. And then God goes on to say, and I'm a jealous God. Interestingly, uh, those two phrases, no other and jealous, typically show up in in, in marital language. When people got married, they weren't supposed to have other spouses. And then the spouses would be jealous. They would want to be the only one in the heart of the other person in the relationship. And so one of the things God's sending a clear signal at the, at the start is this isn't about a new set of laws uh, that, uh, to enslave you. So Pharaoh had all these laws that you'll find in Exodus 5, which is make bricks, make lots of them, make me rich, make me secure. Um, And so God says, well, forget those. I'm going to give you some new laws to enslave you. God's like, this is a marriage. This is a relationship. These are like the wedding vows. I'm just going to show you uh, what we're pledging to each other. And so a lot of people say that first commandment is, is foundational. Makes sense to me. Except there is this, that a lot of rabbis in Jesus' day said that wasn't even the first commandment. Uh, Because if you look in English and in Hebrew, you won't find the word, and Moses gave them ten commandments. What you'll find is Moses uttered ten words, or Moses uttered ten declarations, or Moses uttered ten blessings, or ten statements. And so they go on to say, if you look at it closely, the very first thing Moses uh, has God utter is, I'm the Lord your God who took you out of slavery in Egypt. And so there are many rabbis who said, that's the first commandment. That God took you out of Egypt. And if that's the first and if that's the most important, imagine what that might mean for us. It's another way, I think, of God saying, look, this is based on our history and our life and our relationship together. I am not trying to make your life miserable. I'm giving you these ten, ten things because I love you. I, brought, I want you to live in freedom, the kind of freedom that uh, Michelle told the children about. Uh, that's what the Ten Commandments are about there. How do we best live in uh, freedom? Or if I may use the phrase this morning, God is saying to them, here's how you have your best life now. These ten things. Because I brought you out of slavery. Why would I throw you back into slavery? Um, And interestingly, you might say, but they're so negative. Don't do this. Don't do that. Well, one of the um, theories about negativity is it marks the outer boundaries of behavior. And so it leaves us free to turn it over in the positive and and and. 
and uh, begin to find out what's inside. If this is the outer boundary and I don't do this, what are the things that I can do and do uh, that will help my relationship with God and other people? So actually, um, the ancient people read it as very freedom-giving. They they said there are very few stipulations here. One way that uh, scholars look at it is like in the United States, we clearly have a Bill of Rights. But, but we also have amendments, and, and we keep figuring out how to live those things that are basic to our country and what we believe in, and we will spell them out, and we have freedom as, as people to, uh, to do that through, uh, through our laws. And so uh, it's really uh, by, by God freeing you from slavery as the first statement. It's saying, look, understand what all these are about. They're about your best life. They're not about oppression. Well, some people uh, suggest that maybe another commandment is the key to the ten. The famous rabbi, Abraham Heschel, that gave the speech on what's the most important of the Ten Commandments said the most important one was number four, to uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And I know what you're thinking. Well, you're the pastor. Of course that's what you're going to say. Point well taken. However, we'll look at the fourth commandment a little later this fall, and one of the things we'll find out is it's only tangentially really related to coming and sitting here on Sunday morning for a while. It's a whole way of life that's, that is anti-Pharaoh. And when they were in Egypt, they worked ten days a week. And now God says every seventh day you can stop working and the world is not going to fall apart. It's about rest. It's about trust, and so the argument from Heschel was if we learn to rest in God and trust in God, then we're more likely to honor the things that God has said. One of the things that impresses me is it's a very egalitarian commandment. Everybody rests. You know, in, in, uh, in, in Egypt, nobody rested. You know, Pharaoh had to make the sun come up. His advisors, he would pressure them. The the advisors then pressured the people in charge of getting the bricks. And then the taskmaster pressured the slaves. And it was a pyramid scheme. But everybody involved all the way, and nobody got a day off. And God says, everybody gets a day off. The foreigners, your, your servants, the animals. I mean, everyone is included in this rest. Reminds me of the youth director at another church who once said that, when, children, when youth come up and say, well, is my dog going to go to heaven? His answer was, if I like the youth, I'll say yes. If I don't, I'll say, no, dogs don't go to heaven. Well, I'm not here to answer that. I'm just here to say in the fourth commandment, there's concern for all the animals as well as the people. It's a very egalitarian statement and very anti-Pharaoh, very anti-slavery. So if we learn to trust and rest, says Heschel, we'll carry out the other nine commandments makes some sense to me. But you know what really surprised me when I was studying the last two weeks are two other contenders for the key commandment I think you need to know about. The fifth one is this, honor your father and your mother. And there are a lot of scholars, uh, Christian and Jewish scholars, who say that's the key to the Ten Commandments because it's found right smack in the middle. So the first four are all these things that have to do with with God, uh, ending with the, the Sabbath. And then the fifth one is your parents, but God as our heavenly father and mother, uh, our parents are symbolic of God's authority and care and concern. And so they would say that God is reflected in the fifth commandment and the fact that God promises you keep the fifth one, things will go well for you. So uh, they say it has to do with God, but on the other hand, it also, of course, has to do with people, your mother and father. And so that that may be actually um, like if you have an arm and your elbow, 
right here is the thing that kind of connects this and this and, and moves everything around. And maybe it's that fifth commandment that moves us uh, toward God, toward others. Uh, it's interesting. I think when we're younger, we tend to interpret that fifth, uh, uh, the fifth commandment means like do everything your parents say. Well, when my kids were younger, I thought that was an excellent interpretation. I've probably told you we have a sign in our uh, utility room that says, um, because I'm the mother, that's why. Yeah, that's why you do things, because I told you so. Um, but uh, but as, as I've come to study it more, I've realized that it probably had less to do with small children and more to do with adult children. How do you treat your parents when they no longer contribute in the vineyards or the fields? They're no longer bringing in a paycheck to help the family. They're no longer perhaps able to even take care of themselves. How do you treat them? What do you do with them? You honor them. You treat them with the utmost serious. You, you care for people uh, that are at, at risk in the family and at risk in society. And so it has something to do with small children, but a lot to do with those of us who are adult children and what we do. Uh, also, interestingly to me, is it's honor your father and your mother. In a patriarchal society, God is all, already, early on, firing a shot across the bow to say, wake up, people. Men and women both matter. Women often on the fringes, often at risk. Elderly, often on the fringes, often at risk. And God says, no, they are not. They are to be brought in from that place of risk to a place of care. And then if you do this, God says, your society will hold together. You'll be a long time in the land. Uh, and if you don't believe this, Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, this is in the Bible, you can read it yourself, says that Solomon's temple was destroyed because people in Israel did not honor their father and their mother. Another interpretation of honoring father and mother is that you carry on the faith and the values that they have placed inside you, that you move that forward. And when you do that, society stays together. When you don't and you oppress those who are at risk, society begins to fall apart. So there are some that say right there in the middle, that's the key commandment. Could be. But I have to tell you the one that came out of left field this week uh, and surprised me. It surprised me because I break this commandment more than the other nine put together. Well, hopefully there are some I don't break at all, but another story. That's number 10. You shall not covet. Covet. You, shall, you don't desire things that aren't yours, that haven't been given to you. And, and notice that it's about an inner condition. It's not whether you go grab it or not. It's, it's what's first of all going on in your heart. And we see in the Sermon on the Mount, that's what Jesus says. He points to the heart stuff. You've heard it say, don't kill, but I say, don't hate. You've heard it say, don't commit adultery. I say, don't lust. Jesus, and this is the commandment that kind of moves us inward. And God looking at our intentions. Interestingly, what the rabbis note is that if you take the first commandment as Noah, as not no other gods, but as I'm the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Um, by the way, you might say, well, how do, now do they have 11? No, what they do is they put um, the next two together, no other gods and no graven image. So that's how they still come out with 10 at the end. But the very first thing, the first statement God makes is, I am Lord. Fair enough. And if you read it, it didn't really come out in our bulletin this morning, but if you read it at the end in Hebrew, the under covet, the last word is, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Love of God, love of neighbor are in the Ten Commandments, and they're all tied up in a bow in the Tenth Commandment to not covet. 
And so there are a couple of ways they thought about this. One is that it's, it's sort of a barometer. If you're breaking the 10th commandment and coveting a lot, then probably you're struggling with the other nine as well. Or it could be seen as a reward. If you're keeping the first nine, then naturally you're not going to covet. Because you are, you're finding that life is lived well when lived the way God intends. Let me put it another way. You don't need to win the Powerball. Your life, as God has given to you, it's good. And you, as God has made you, are good. You are enough. And that's what, part of what the Ten Commandments is about, contentment. And knowing who you are and that who you are is okay. And you don't need something else to be uh, the, the most that you can be because God has created you that way. And so if you get that commandment right, then you'll start living more godly in all your other areas would be part of the reasoning. So some say that actually this 10th commandment really is the best indication of whether you're keeping the other nine. I don't know. I think their arguments probably could be made for all 10 of the commandments. But here's what I do know. That to flaunt them and break them is to not only put ourselves at risk, but to put our society and our communities at risk as well. Because God knows how life goes best. And when we don't keep these, life gets off track. So let me say a word about the last 24 hours in Charlottesville, Virginia, because I, I, think, I think it's where we are. First thing, I think people have a right in our country to assemble. Uh, second thing is we need to dialogue and understand each other and know there's a segment of our society that feels they've missed out on some of the promise of this country. I'll grant that. What I will not grant is that it must result in white supremacy. That is such a clear violation of all ten of the commandments. But let's just look at at a few we've seen this morning. Uh, I am the Lord your God. In other words, I brought you out of slavery. And they get pushed into a position where they actually defend slavery as it was practiced in our country. That's completely contrary to the God that that brought you out of Egypt. Um, Talk about the two sides of the line. Um, and, and, and we treat our race or our color or our section of the country that we came from as higher than the kingdom of God and its values, that's a violation, in my mind, of, uh, of what is listed as the first commandment the way we normally inter- interpret it, no other gods. It, clearly, the fourth commandment is the, an egalitarian notion that everyone deserves rest. Everyone deserves uh, um, uh, value, and everyone is included in God's economy. And there's this sense, because I have been left out, therefore I must make sure other people are left out so now that I can get back in. It's clearly a violation in my mind of the fourth commandment. And the fifth, because the fifth is about our society continues when we carry on the values that put us here. Our society continues when we look out for the weakest among us. Uh, The women in the days of the Old Testament um, were were made the weakest by by being ostracized. Um, uh, The elderly. Our society is only strong when we look out for them, not when we see them as competitors in a zero-sum game for a small slice of pie, and we have to get it before they get it. It's clearly, clearly not a position of trust, not a position of respect or compassion, which the Bible teaches. And then finally, 
coveting, which ties the whole nine together. And I tell you, I struggle with that more than anything else. I've been given everything in life, and sometimes I think I need more. But to say I have to have what somebody else has, I must take it from them, or they must have less so that I can feel more, is clearly a violation of the Tenth Commandment and messes up the life that God has intended. Friends, theologically, what you believe makes a difference. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about trust. I'm talking about rest. I'm talking about faithfulness. These things lead us to value all people and to recognize that there have been some people whose past oppression, like the slaves in Egypt, merit our concern and our value and merit our work to try to make a more just society. That's as God intended. And to flaunt that is just not going to work. There's an ancient, ancient story. Um, goes back, <clears throat> I think, three decades. And you've probably heard it before. Uh, an, an older gentleman has brought his grandson to an air show with 1920s vintage airplanes. And they're doing barrel rolls and all sorts of stuff. And, uh, but the, the, the grandfather looks up and says to his son and the man on the other side of him, that one plane is not built to do that. This is trouble. And sure enough, the plane cracks up in the air. And, and heads to the ground, and, and it's a disastrous scene, and people start to run over there. But before they can, he can't run, so the grandfather's making his way, and the man that was next to him said, how did you know? How did you know that would happen? And he said, well, 30 years ago, I designed that plane. God has designed our life. God knows how we work best and flow together. And when we are attentive to the example of Christ and the guidance of the Ten Commandments, we will live together the life that God has for us.